0: Welcome to this podcast of the Sunday Message from Hope Gateway, a United Methodist community in Portland, Maine. If you live locally, we'd love to have you join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Visit our website at www.hopegateway.com to learn more. But whether you live near or far, we hope you find this message to be meaningful. Wherever you are, join us in doing justice loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. So today I'm going to share a very different message than the one I was expecting to share today, different than the one that Sarah and I had sort of planned as we were putting together this worship series called The Gift of Simplicity. Um, Over the past couple of weeks, we've been exploring simplicity, one of Hope Gateway's core values and thinking together about what it means to um, live simply, both individually and in our community life together. Uh, But this past week... Oh, and and we've had some fun exploring that topic with things like, you know, the life-changing magic of tidying up with Marie Kondo and last year's message, uh, last week's message, focusing on this radical idea of jubilee. But this past week, um, some things happened in the United Methodist Church that I wanted to reflect on with you today. from last Saturday until this past Tuesday, there was a, a four-day global gathering of United Methodists in St. Louis. Now, usually we have this gathering that we call a general conference every four years, and the next one would be 2020, um, but this was a special uh, called session of general conference focusing on just one agenda item, and that was to try to answer this decades-long question about whether we will be a fully inclusive church or not. So we're kind of setting aside the gift of simplicity a little bit today to really focus in on that. Before I jump into that, though, I just want to establish just a couple of quick ground rules, and really it just boils down to this, that this is safe space. This is safe space, um, and that means that we have to work together to ensure that everybody is safe in this room, and even when we leave this room in the in the broader community, um, remembering that we are a diverse group, we come from lots of different places, from different life experiences, different theological perspectives. So we're really uh, different. Different. We're a diverse group. Remembering that it's okay to feel embarrassed or not to know things. It's uh, important to respect each other's opinions. Although there is one caveat about that. And since I'm the one with the mic, I get to to say what the caveat is. (laughs) The caveat is we can respect each other's opinions and we can even disagree with one another as long as our disagreement doesn't deny the humanity of someone else or their right to exist or their right to be as fully welcome in this room as you are. You hear what I'm saying? Is that fair? Because if our our disagreement about someone actually makes someone else feel unsafe, then we don't have safe space anymore. Okay? So that's the ground rule that I want to set. Remembering also that while I'm going to be reflecting on a particular topic, which is the United Methodist 47-year wrangling about, the, about human sexuality, we might think that that's an issue, an issue of human sexuality, but it's actually not an issue. It's about people, right? It's about people whom God loves, whom God has created in the image of God and gifted and blessed and called, and even people who are in this room. So it's really important uh, to carve out that safe space. So I'm going to share a few words to begin from, um, from Scripture, and I'm reading from Romans chapter 8. The Apostle Paul is writing this whole big, long discourse about all kinds of different topics about Christian life, life, life of the life of followers of Jesus together. And then he says, so what are we going to say about these things? Now, these things that Paul's talking about, I'm not going to delve into that, but we could just say... What, is, what are we to say about these things? He says, if God is for us, then who is against us? God didn't spare God's own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't God also freely give us all things with him? Who will bring a charge against God's elect people? It is God who acquits them. Who is going to convict them? It is Christ Jesus who died, even more who was raised and who is also at God's right side. It is Christ Jesus who also pleads our case for us. Who will separate us from Christ's love? That's a big question, right? Who will separate us from Christ's love? Will we be separated by trouble, or distress, or harassment, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. And then jumping ahead a little bit, he says, No, in all these things we win a sweeping victory through the one who loved us. For I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus our Lord. What can separate us? Nothing. Nothing at all. Not death or life, not angels or rulers, not present things or future things, not powers or height or depth or anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from God's great love in Christ Jesus. That's a pretty good place to start, right? Beautiful, life-giving words and how easy it is for we human beings to mess this up. Right? (laughs) to draw lines where God ain't drawn no lines, right? As if we have some kind of secret intelligence from God and we get to decide whom God loves. As if God's love is somehow rank-ordered, right? And who's at the top? White man. White men. There it is, right there. If we're going to rank-order, white heterosexual men, right? Usually when we do that... I'm at the top, you know, we put ourselves at the top and we rank order, God's love. When in fact, we know, and scripture reminds us, that there's nothing we can do to make God love us any more, and there's nothing we can do or fail to do to make God love us any less. So that's a pretty good place to start, and if we're going to connect this to the gift of simplicity, we'll just say, that's pretty simple, right? Right? We are all created in the image of God, beloved by God, gifted and called by God. And nothing, nothing can separate us from God's great love in Christ Jesus. The good news is there are no exceptions to that rule. That God's love is unconditional And infinite, no exceptions. Having said that, this was a bit of a rough week for those of us who care about these simple truths of love and compassion and inclusivity and justice. How many of you have, in some way or another, followed something about what happened at General Conference in St. Louis this past week? Many of you, most of you have. I just want to acknowledge that there are two people in the room who were in St. Louis last week Bishop Three? Okay, I'll get that in a second. Bishop Cliff Ives. Oh, three. I'm sorry. Sorry, Jane. Of course there were three. Cliff and Jane were both there. Cliff as a retired bishop. And I'm sure your perspective, you had your own very unique perspective, I'm sure, as a bishop and bishop's spouse. And then Ophelia was there as a staff member of Reconciling Ministries Network, which is our United Methodist... um, Organization that's really advocating and has been for a long, long time for a fully inclusive United Methodist Church. And you had your own unique <laughs> experience as a staff member doing communications with RMN. So these are three people that you could definitely seek out and have a conversation about their experiences. I'll say more about some opportunities to do that as well. If you weren't following in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Portland Press Herald, etc., and all the other newspapers, you might have been following my Facebook feed, if you're friends with me. And I said one or two things about this on Facebook this past week, and even on Twitter. And one of my tweets got picked up by the Associated Press and got spread all over the country, including Time Magazine, which, which means that I've gotten a few interesting responses from people this week uh, finding our website and our Facebook page and telling me all the things I don't understand. (laughs) It's been interesting. So this past week from Saturday to Tuesday 864 delegates gathered in St. Louis clergy, half clergy and half laypersons from all around the world wherever there is a United Methodist Witness to make some decisions at this special session of our general conference. This question that they were discussing is a question that we have, as a denomination, been discussing since 1972. Now, I was two years old when that started. Many of you in this room weren't even born. How many of you weren't born in 1972? Which means the entire lifetime of these people in this room We have been debating this issue 47 years. In the time that I have, I'm not going to get into discussing the background of how we got to this special general conference or the details of various proposals that were debated in St. Louis or how these proposals came together or who supported which ones. All of these dynamics are interesting if you're interested in such things. But I'm not going to go kind of to that depth. What I want to share is that by Tuesday evening, when the general conference adjourned, by a vote margin of about 53% to 47%, the delegates voted to retain discriminatory anti-LGBTQ policies that prohibit pastors from officiating at same-sex marriages and exclude LGBTQ persons from being ordained. Additionally, they approved measures to intensify investigation into these matters, to be really sure that pastors and candidates for ministry are, and this is the a quote, this is the language, celibate in singleness and faithful in marriage. Although that's a standard that is only really, really applied to the LGBTQ community, not to heterosexuals. And then also to tighten up punitive accountability for pastors who may feel called by their conscience or by the Spirit to break these rules. And here I mean through church trials. We do these things. We have had many of them. And mandatory punishments like a year's suspension for the first time, you break the rules, or complete loss of your credentials for the second time. Now, Sarah and I have done this twice already. And we will probably do more. So, you understand the implications. And this, honestly... We're not worried about ourselves because we understand our own privilege in this system. This is really about the vilification and exclusion of our LGBTQ siblings, including LGBT people of color. Now, I should share that we have delegates from all over the world. It's interesting that an estimated 66 to 70% of U.S. delegates voted against this kind of restrictive measure. Which means about 30% voted for it. Um, It's also interesting that the vote margin hasn't shifted much in many years. We're sort of at this impasse, around 45 to 55%. And as the American culture gets more sort of open and affirming, also the American church is shrinking while the church in other parts of the world is growing, which means the shift in the number of delegates is shifting away from the United States. So these are just some interesting dynamics. Um, Those are interesting, but the fact is the decision is the decision. And regardless of how the votes fall out, we all have to live with the implications uh, the same. There's also some things about whether some of this stuff that was passed can actually be implemented, whether it violates some of our constitutional um, documents of the United Methodist Church. All these things will shake out. So it is, um, it's far too early to say definitively what will happen within the United Methodist Church as a denomination, Um, but we do want to say this clearly and with no ambiguity, that we decry the harm that the United Methodist Church has done in denying the full humanity and sacred worth of LGBT persons. Mm -hmm. Exclusion and discrimination are forms of violence that wound the body of Christ and do harm to people whom God has created and loved and gifted and called. Hard stop. This is unacceptable And we stand in opposition and defiance. I should share that this person in the blue jacket is one of Cliff's colleagues. That is Bishop Karen Oliveto, who serves the Rocky Mountain Conference and Mountain Sky Conference. Um, She is a married lesbian bishop. So you can imagine how... Challenged. There are hundreds and hundreds of gay and lesbian pastors and one out gay bishop. So this is not... You know, understand that this is very complex. It's not like... Um, there's a lot of differing perspectives. We're not of one mind around this issue. As we have said on multiple occasions, this question for Hope Gateway has already been answered. We decided long ago that we would embody inclusiveness fully here in Portland, Maine. So no matter nothing that happened in St. Louis this past week, no general conference pronouncements now or any time in the future, no restrictive discriminatory policies or institutional statements will dissuade us from fully welcoming, embracing, affirming, and empowering our LGBTQ siblings. Inclusivity is one of Hope Gateway's core values. And more than that, it's part of our DNA. We would not be Hope Gateway if we didn't embody this kind of inclusion. We wouldn't be this church. This is who we are, right? So we are not dissuaded from that by anything that happened in St. Louis. Now, to those of you who are, consider yourselves members of the LGBTQ community, our friends, our neighbors, our siblings, and allies, those of you who love someone, we say this. You are a beloved child of God. You are created in the image of God and loved infinitely by God. We affirm you, we love you, and we welcome you unconditionally. Your gifts, your love, your heart, your hands, your hopes, and your faith are needed by us and by the world. Period. Amen? Amen. Amen? The truth is that people have often, Christians and Methodists, have often been on the wrong side of history. Over the years, again, <laughs> that was perfect timing. <laughs> Over the years, again and again, we have used the Bible as a weapon to reinforce unjust, unloving, and frankly, unchristian ideas. You know, for a very long time, Christians, Methodists included, used the Bible to justify slavery. Methodist pastors were known to own slaves. This came to a head when a Methodist bishop through marriage, inherited slaves. And in 1845, this issue split the Methodist Church in two, the Methodist Church North and South. And that lasted for 94 years until the issue of slavery was resolved and there was reunification. We look back now and we wonder, how could they be so misguided, right? We have often been on the wrong side of history. Christians, Methodists included, have used the Bible to justify forcing women to be silent and second-class citizens. The Bible's also been used to promote the liberation of women. The Bible has been used to support segregation and to support desegregation. Do you see the danger of this? If you go way back, the Bible was used to silence those who insisted the earth was round And that the earth is one of several planets revolving around the sun. Because no, if you read Genesis 1, clearly the earth is flat. And clearly the sun revolves around the earth, right? And not just silence, but to put to death people who dared to speak out scientific truth. So what's the point here? Somebody name it. (laughs) Don't trust what you think. I mean, here's the thing. Oftentimes, it isn't so much what we read in the Bible. It's what we're looking for in the Bible. Right? We take our own prejudices, prejudices and discriminations and we find justification for them in the, in the Bible. And guess what? We can. We can find it. So just saying the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it is not good enough. We have to have tools to interpret the Bible. And the fact is that God continues to reveal new truths to us as we have the capacity to understand them. 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago, could people understand a committed, committed, consensual, mutual, loving relationship between two people of the same sex? Of course they couldn't. Because it was a patriarchal culture in which women were the possessions of their fathers until the fathers gave that possession to the new wives. How could they understand anything different than that arrangement? But thank God God has continued to reveal new truths to us as we have the capacity to understand them. Otherwise we would still live in a flat earth world. Right? We would. This is complex. Rather than saying, what does the Bible say? What if we said, what is Christ like? And use Jesus as the lens through which we read the Bible, right? Jesus stands always on the side of love and justice and inclusivity and compassion, period. I'm preaching here, but I'm the one with the mic. (laughs) This is called preacher's privilege. I get to say what I think. And you can disagree. You can disagree as long as your disagreement doesn't deny someone else's humanity and right to exist. Several years ago, the New England Conference of the United Methodist Church adopted a policy of nonconformity. And this is a picture from our Really, incredibly moving, transformative annual conference. Some of you were there. Probably one of the most profound experiences of my entire life, where we basically took over annual conference and forced a. Uh, we didn't force the vote. We forced the conversation about taking a stance of nonconformity stating that regardless of our denominational policies and prohibitions, we would seek to welcome, affirm, and fully include the LGBTQ community in all matters, including marriage and ordination. We we affirmed that then, and we continue to affirm that posture of nonconformity. You know, as followers of Jesus, as people who strive to live by faith, we should always be satisfied, dissatisfied, dissatisfied with injustice whenever and wherever some are being systematically excluded or marginalized, wherever bigotry and discrimination and prejudice uh, are at play, wherever we witness the drive to build walls instead of bridges, we must stand and speak the truth in love. Here's what Archbishop Desmond Tutu said. If you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. Say that with me. If you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. This is not a moment to be neutral, to say, "Well, everybody's opinions are valid." You know, this is not that moment, friends. This is not that moment. Desmond Tutu went on to say if, if an elephant has its foot on the tail of a mouse and you say that you are neutral, the mouse will not appreciate your neutrality. now I just want to say we recognize that this all that I'm talking about here may evoke a range of emotions some of you may feel fear some of you may be grieving some of you may feel anger or even despair as your pastors and as a community we want to walk with you through whatever you may be feeling If you have questions or concerns, we welcome the opportunity to talk with you and pray with you in the days ahead. And I suspect Cliff and Jane and Ophelia and many in this room would also be willing to serve in the same way. After worship today, as I mentioned, we're going to have a potluck lunch. And rather than playing Mardi Gras games, which was our original plan, we're going to use it for some conversation and debrief around the tables. And then also on Wednesday evening, after an Ash Wednesday worship gathering, we're going to have a little general conference debrief in one of the back rooms while an AA group moves into this room. Anyone who wants to stay will just answer questions, we will share feelings, uh, and just talk about kind of what happened and what that means and where we go from here. Sound okay? So having said all that, this may seem like a really weird time to ask you to commit to our community practices for 2019. We briefly thought about just putting that off for a little bit. But you know what? The more we thought about this, the more we came to realize that maybe there's no better time to ask people to commit to the practices of the Hope Gateway community for the 2019 for the year 2019 because we know that our pledges of commitment are not to human institutions They are first and foremost to God, who stands always on the side of love and justice. And secondly, to this Hope Gateway community, which also stands on the side of love and justice. It's not enough to say we'll show up with our thoughts and prayers, we actually have to show up with our practices. Our practices of prayers, presents, gifts, service, and witness. All of these are important, and this is the way we affect change. By showing up with our bodies and our lives and our loves and our practices. Day after day, consistently. So you have this sheet on your chair. The, the commitment wall is over here. There's no pressure whatsoever. If you feel called... To make this commitment today, we want to invite you to grab one of the markers on the ledge there and sign that wall, maybe after you receive communion. If you don't want to do that, that's perfectly fine. If you feel like, I did this before, I don't need to do this again, that's okay also. This is our alternative version of membership. If you're we, ready next week. Or if you're ready next week or the week after, exactly. Um, but this is the way we approach membership rather than, you know, you become a member once and 50 years later you're still a member whether you ever come to worship or not. This is the way we do it. It's just a- approaching it one year at a time. So we invite you. Yes? i like the congregation to join me in a collective amen of what you said to Okay. Amen! amen. Except I'm not quite finished. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you Cliff I just wanted to share one verse from from Isaiah and I'll tell you why I'm sharing it there's this passage in Isaiah where people who have been in exile far away from home cut off from all that's familiar are returning home and they're kind of filled with it's not exactly hopelessness but uncertainty about what the future brings and there's this beautiful passage where the prophet Isaiah is speaking to them. It starts out in a very familiar way. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because God has anointed me to bring good news to the oppressed, etc., etc., right? You heard Jesus say that once? Yeah. But in this passage, he says this, this really interesting thing. He says, God will give you a garland instead of ashes. What do you think that means? God will give you a garland instead of ashes. Any thoughts? You will someday rejoice rather than grieve. Exactly. And even though in this moment it feels like grieving and uncertainty and despair and everything is lost, actually God's promise for you is one of rejoicing. God will give you a garland instead of ashes. Well, we do not have garlands to give you all today, but guess what we do have? Mardi Gras Gras beads! (laughs) So what we're going to do when you come forward to receive communion today is uh, Sarah and I are going to stand on either side, and after you've received communion, we're going to give you a garland instead of ashes with the words, You are a beloved child of God. Okay. If you don't want to receive that, you don't have to. But that's our gift to you. And then, if you want to sign, you're welcome to sign. I'm going to end with some more, some final words from Desmond Tutu. Here's what he said. Somebody, somebody read this, this two screens. Somebody read this first one. This human family, God's family. And let's read this one together. We are made for goodness. We are made for love. We are made for friendliness. We are made for togetherness. We are made for all of the beautiful things that you and I know. We are made to tell the world that there are no outsiders. May this be our prayer, and may we be the answer to our prayer. Amen? Amen.